Welcome to the American History Podcast, Episode 2.1, Jefferson's Legacy, Madison's Presidency, and the War of 1812. Welcome to the American History Podcast, hosted by Sean Morswick. Hello again, and welcome to the American History Podcast, episode 2.1. As always, I'd like to remind you that you can follow our official Twitter account at American HisCast. You can also visit our website, theamericanhistorypodcast.com. This is where you'll find a brief write-up about our episode, and you can view the various sources that I used to create these episodes. Um, Also, you can um, email me from the website if you have any questions or comments, that you might have if you think I'm horrible. um, That's where you can contact me and let me know. Or if you think I'm great, you can do the same thing. So let's begin with the legacy of Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States and one of the giants of the founding period. As president, expansion became a primary goal of his administration. Now, to be fair, the Jeffersonians did not have a monopoly on expansion. It was also a Federalist policy, although the Federalists had only limited success with it. The expansion of the nation into the Northwest, what is today called the Midwest, states like Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, was an orderly experience thanks to something called the Northwest Ordinance, one of the positives which came out of the Confederation government, or it's usually seen as positive. The natives in this region would not be subdued until the Battle of Fallen Timbers in 1794, and I'm pretty sure they did not necessarily see this as positive. While the expansion into the Old Northwest wasn't an easy affair, thanks to the presence of Native Americans, it was made even more difficult in the South by the fact that Spain had a presence there. Um, Basically, they were in Florida, uh, and also remember, the Louisiana Territory. However, the purchase of Louisiana would mark the end of European expansion in North America and cemented the United States as a growing power on the North American continent. This was a stunning achievement in that no society had ever been able to combine indefinite expansion and supremacy within a hemisphere without first building a strong centralized state reliant upon big armies, big navies, and a large bureaucratic structure to support it. The United States, however, had managed to achieve it without all of those things. Further, there was both a hard and soft side to Jeffersonian expansion the soft side being the invasion of Canada during the War of 1812, and the hard being the removal of American Indians and the removal of the Spanish from Florida in the Madison and Monroe presidencies. On the latter, the Jeffersonians viewed the Spanish with a great deal of contempt, which would be carried over into Manifest Destiny in the 1840s and would lead to the conquest of approximately half of Mexico's territory in the war. A second portion of the Jeffersonian legacy was the creation of democratic, non-aristocratic government. Jefferson and his followers believed that, quote, government that governs least governs best, end quote. So they lowered the national debt, they balanced the budget, 
and promoted states' rights. They also reduced some of the more oppressive aspects of the Federalist agenda. Further, Jefferson, throughout his eight years in office, retained his faith in the common people and maintained the two-term presidential tradition that was begun by George Washington. The third portion of his legacy was the total defeat by the Democrats of the Federalists in 1816. The so-called High Federalists had been moving towards um, the creation of a European-like aristocracy through intermarriage, uh, through the creation of a standing army and government suppression of political opponents. And it's worth mentioning here at this point, since we mentioned the standing army, that there was a difference between the Jeffersonians and the Federalists when it comes to the military. And it's been forgotten today, so I think this is a good point to mention it. Uh, most Americans in the late 18th and early 19th century, um, and even through the 19th century, did not view the military in a favorable light. Indeed, the majority of people distrusted the military as being a tool of monarchy and one that was anathema to, a, um, to freedom and liberty. The animosity amongst the Jeffersons, or the Jeffersonians, toward the military was such that most of the high-ranking army officers were Federalists. Having said that, Jefferson does attempt to gain the support of uh, the officer corps when he establishes the U.S. Military Academy at West Point during his first administration. Now, the fourth and final major legacy was the fact that the Jeffersonian or the Jefferson successfully, the Jeffersonians successfully kept the United States out of the most devastating European war in a century and a half, and that's being the Napoleonic Wars. Um, this was a significant accomplishment and one that should not be overlooked, at least in my estimation. Um, those sets of wars were ruinous with over a million casualties and represented the worst war in Europe since the Thirty Years' War of the 17th century. And they were so bad that they led to a century of little to no war on the European continent itself. However, once Jefferson left office, the United States within a couple of years would go to war with Britain late in Madison's first term. Now, speaking of Madison and the War of 1812, James Madison is inaugurated in March 1809, and he continues the – and he is part of the so-called Virginia dynasty. Um, he is the third in a line of four presidents from Virginia between 1789 and 1829. Now, Madison was strongly Jeffersonian in his views at this point at least, um, having parted ways with the Federalists early in Washington's first term. So, for example, he was opposed to the creation of a national bank, arguing that it was not authorized by the Constitution. He was also a co-author, along with Jefferson, of the Virginia and Kentucky Resolutions, in which he and Jefferson argued the states, having created the federal government, then had the right to invalidate unconstitutional federal laws. Now, the legacy of Madison's presidency was his inability to keep the United States out of the war between France and England that was raging in Europe. Warhawks attacking American Indians in the Ohio Valley wanted to go to war with Britain as well. Side note, the British often allied with the Indians to act as a counterbalance to the Americans and their growing threat in places like current-day Michigan, um, along the Canadian border, um, those areas. Now, following this, the Congress deeply divided and under the control of the Republicans meets in 1811. The makeup of the body at this point was quite different from the past in that some new, young, 
and nationalistic leaders from the South and the West started to emerge. These men wanted to prove themselves through a war with Britain, seeking the same glory their fathers had earned in the war for American independence. So two examples of the men who emerged at this point were Henry Clay and John C. Calhoun. Clay was elected Speaker of the House, and Calhoun was a member of the House of Representatives from South Carolina. Another important politician who emerged at this point was Daniel Webster. A Federalist from New Hampshire, Webster was a critic of the war, arguing that New England's merchants would be harmed from American entry into it on the side of France. Now, the Warhawks, seeking to wipe out the Indian resistance to white settlement in the western wilderness, urged, urged military action against the Shawnee, the result being the Battle of Tippecanoe. In this engagement, William Harry Harris, Henry Harrison repelled a surprise Indian attack at Tippecanoe, which is in modern Indiana, by the way, essentially ending the Indian threat in that region and spurring further westward expansion. Another area that the Warhawks wanted to take was Canada. The reason for this was twofold. First, they hoped to remove further Indian threats from tribes who were located across the border. And second, Canada was seen as vulnerable to attack since the British were preoccupied with Napoleon. Now, finally, in June 1812, the Warhawks' dreams were fulfilled when war was declared on Britain. Representatives from pro-British New England and the mid-Atlantic states were opposed to the war, and some in New England would go so far as to call for secession. One wonders why the United States declared war on Britain when both France and Britain were impressing American sailors into their navies at this point. There are four major reasons for the, de the decision. First, the Warhawks were pushing Madison towards war. Remembering, remember, a lot of them are um, from the West, and it was in the West where American settlers were basically fighting against Native peoples in places like Ohio and Indiana. The British were the ones who were on the side of those Indians, so it makes sense if you keep that in mind. Secondly, the Jeffersonians were traditionally partial towards France. So they weren't necessarily wanting to go to war with France. Thirdly, the British um, not only impressed American seamen into their navy, but they were arming the American Indians. Again, that relates back to the earlier point. And finally, the lure of conquering Canada, a rich land that was rich in timber and fishing and fur, that was the final nail in the coffin, so to speak. Now, we could do a whole podcast, maybe even a whole season on the War of 1812. Um, but right now, I just want to deal with the legacy. We're not going to get into the battles and all of that. Um, the United States, as was often the case prior to the Cold War, was totally unprepared for war. The army was quite small, not very well trained. The conflict ended in a stalemate. But the United States did earn some diplomatic and military respect from its European peers. After all, say what you will, they fought the British Empire to a draw. And while it is true the British had their hands full with France, the fact remains the Americans did not lose the war. Andrew Jackson emerges from the war as a national hero, while American Indians emerged from the conflict in worse shape than they had been prior to it. Vast areas of forested land north of the Ohio River were lost to the tribes and European settlers poured into the region. Also, the war acted as a stimulant to American patriotism and nationalism, and it whetted the American appetite for more land. That's kind of foreshadowing to what we're going to get to eventually. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Finally, out of the war, 
and a legacy of another legacy of Madison's presidency is the Hartford Convention. Lasting from December 1814 through December of 1815, it was attended by representatives from Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, as well as from New Hampshire and Vermont. The purpose was to secure financial assistance from the federal government due to the British blockade of New England's ports and the resulting economic downturn in the region. A minority of delegates actually urged secession from the United States, but they were outvoted. I mention this specifically as the word secession is often associated with the South. However, in the early years of the Republic, it was more often than not brought up by people from New England. The convention would come up with four recommendations. Number one, repeal the Three-Fifths Compromise to reduce the influence of the South in the House of Representatives. Number two, two-thirds vote would now be required to pass an embargo or to declare war. Number three, limit the term of the president to avoid a Jeffersonian dynasty in the future. And finally, they wanted to deny naturalized citizens, who were often voting as Jeffersonians, the right to hold office. The Battle of New Orleans and the subsequent Treaty of Ghent made the Federalist Party look like they were defeatists and represents the death knell of the Federalist Party. James Monroe crushed the Federalist candidate in the election of 1816, and the Federalist Party, at least on the national level, would no longer exist. Now, one last thing I'd like to mention. Until 1815, there was more often than not talk of nullification and secession in New England than in any other region. Now, while today these two ideas are often associated with the South and wrongfully with the protection of slavery, they really were, in the early days, more often than not brought up by New England. The New England states flouted the Jeffersonian embargo on British products. Essentially, that's an act of nullification. And they attempted to cripple the war effort in the War of 1812. Again, an act of nullification. All right, so that's all for this episode. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this little crash course on the legacy of Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, a little bit on the War of 1812. As always, if you enjoy the show, you can support us by giving us a rating or review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Um, If you like to receive email updates about the show, please go to the website and sign up for our email list. You can also find sources that I'm using for this series there. So if you'd like to read up on the topics I've discussed, that's the place to go. Until next time, good day.